previously in the R2AK Daily Fix by Boldly Went. Today we want to give you a rare peek behind the curtains to share a bit of the experience of what it's like for the people involved with this event who are not racing. The race asks a lot, not just of the racers, but it asks a lot of us as well. They're out here hanging off decks, donning dry suits, popping Dramamine, and working crazy hours from the cabins of boats to make sure that the racers have a great experience. And then we were editing from 3.30 p.m. until 12.30 a.m. and then from 5 a.m. until 12. If a boat was in trouble, we were there to help them. A lot of people don't have families or friends that can come and meet them on the docks and I'm there to cook them a warm meal and throw a bonfire or have some wine and cheese on the docks the day before they set sail, so it's just addictive. Which reminds me that the Dirtbag Award is still up for grabs. More on that and other side bets next time. Welcome back to the R2AK Daily Fix by Boldly Went. I'm Michaela Elias, field correspondent for Boldly Went. This is a 14-part podcast following the 750-mile race to Alaska, created and produced by Boldly Went Productions. This is episode 7 of 14 that chronicles the quest to win $10,000 in a non-motorized, unsupported boat race through the iconic Inside Passage. In the last few episodes, we received some key updates on the first R2AK finishers, and we got a behind-the-scenes look at the race experience from the perspective of the crew. But in this episode, we're going to pay tribute to the other racers, the ones who may not have been the first to cross the finish line, or second, or third, or even fourth for that matter. The ones who may have lacked speed and efficiency, but more than made up for it with grit, inventiveness, humor, and electrifying stories. One of the things that makes Race to Alaska really unique is that unlike in most races where winning is the number one objective, in Race to Alaska, for some racers, it's almost irrelevant. Despite all the hundreds of hours of work teams have devoted to preparing for this race, in general, racers don't really seem to take themselves too seriously. While some teams have impressive resumes, and all participants need to be qualified, many come into the race knowing full well that their chances of winning, and in some cases even finishing, are pretty slim. And racers don't exactly try to hide that winning isn't a top priority. If the goal was to win, I mean, if the goal was to win, you wouldn't see 100-year-old refurbished boats, boats that have been wrangled from bushes, paddleboards, hobies, and other whimsical forms of watercraft, attempting to execute this fairly demanding journey. First place does technically get $10,000, but don't think it's just handed over in the form of a fat check or a briefcase full of cash. The money is actually nailed to a piece of wood. So after a draining race, the winners then need to figure out how to extricate their prize. So maybe it doesn't come as a huge surprise that according to race boss Daniel Evans, racers could care less about the $10,000. I have, I have yet 
to meet someone that cares about the $10,000. From all the winners to all the people that didn't get it, I oftentimes have heard people joke that if they were coming in first, they would hold back just so they could get the steak knives instead of the $10,000. That's a lie. I don't know. <laughs> steak knives are very coveted. Yeah, Wayne Gorey got those. He was very proud. And he started the Van Isle 360, which is a huge race in this area around Vancouver Island. Uh, so I, it's, you know, the fact is, is that the $10,000, unlike most, I think, cash prizes, it does almost nothing to repay all the money that a winning team has put into the race. Like is a fra is decimal of what they put into the race. And so it's not as much about that, but it's about participating in what they feel is like an elite challenge for them in the way that they've kind of decided to come take it on. I mean, what is 10 grand anyways compared to a stash of electrifying stories to dazzle friends, family, and complete strangers at parties for years to come? Well, maybe the steak knives are highly coveted, but the point is that most racers are really there for the experience. Team Razzle Dazzle is a great example of racers who keep coming back every year because, to put it simply, it's a really good time. All right. Tell me your names and your team name. I'm Katie Stewart. We are Team Razzle Dazzle this year. I'm Rebecca Rankin. I'm Drew Smith, Team Razzle Dazzle. And on drums! <laughs> no, I like the music. I, I, you can keep it. This is clearly an interesting thing about your guys' boat is that well, you guys have done it multiple times. You keep coming back for more. You jumped in at the last minute. I guess I can ask why you guys keep coming back, but the, the answer or the question is also what are you hoping to get out of this experience? Like I'm sitting here and you guys are all dressed in sequins, so I think it kind of goes without saying that you're hoping to like have fun, but like what, what are you hoping to get out of the experience? Oh, this is my idea of a really good time. That's it. This is my vacation time, and this is fun for me. Don't get us wrong. The race does get competitive. Whether it's friendly banter or a nail-biting final sprint to catch a can, racers definitely know how to bring the heat. After all, it's a passionate, high-energy bunch. And so we've seen our fair share of rivalries, call-outs, and jeering. But since the race is really fueled by the spirit of adventure rather than the need to win, Race to Alaska makes a point of recognizing those teams that excel in other ways. All right, so what are the, what are the side bets? This, you're holding that phone kind of I funny. Wanna, I want to get these down. Well, this I'm is, doing you're it getting recorded, so. Yeah. There's Washington State Park side bet, which is the safety helmet of shame. There's the uh, small craft advisor side bet for boat under 20 feet to finish first. So There's how, how do you win the helmet of shame? You have to survive doing something really stupid. Perfect. Yeah. Is Didn't, anyone in contention? Yeah. Uh, you know, we got to keep that kind of close to the vest. Want people to finish. You know, you know, don't want to humiliate until they finish. <laughs> and then there's the Ortlieb side bet, which is most in need of a dry bag. Then there's also Another side bet, which is most in need of a stiff drink, Admiralty Distillers, most in need of a stiff drink. I think that's it. And those are, that one's for people who... Have the biggest epic. Mm -hmm. Really just, like you see them kind of stagger on, on the, under the finish line, wide-eyed, panting, emaciated, but, but there. 
And they're in need of a stiff drink. Is dirt bag, it's a dirt bag side Oh, and the dirt bag award, of course. Okay. It's not a side bet at oh, okay. all. But it's a, an award. It's, it's the most <laughs> prestigious of all awards. So, yeah, we get to the start line spending the least amount of money. The dirt bag award is a literal bag of dirt, which may sound disappointing, but actually could not be more appropriate. Think about it. If you're a true dirt bag, why would you need a cash prize anyways? Any lucrative prize would just undermine your hard-earned credentials. But in all seriousness, the Dirtbag Award is actually a pretty essential component of the race to Alaska because it speaks to one of the core values of the event. The race purposely keeps entry costs low and really encourages racers to do it on the cheap. The race is really set up to place ingenuity, passion, and experience above financial investment. This dirtbag culture ends up really permeating the race, and even front runners like Give Em the Horns got in the spirit. We heard a few episodes ago about how they broke their rudder at the halfway point, limped to Bella Bella, then built a new one out of plywood. Since there is such a savvy mentality to this race, we've heard some almost unbelievable origin stories about where teams got their boats and the immense amount of time they put into revamping them. So in an event that happens to be filled with resourceful racers, who takes the dirt? We thought one potential candidate might be Nigel Davies from Hobie One Kenobi, who's racing with a Hobie catamaran. Here's a reminder about what Nigel's boat looks like. It's 16 foot four, basically a sit on top kayak that you, you can use a pedal drive rather than a paddle. So uh, the pedals work like a set of penguin fins and they go from side to side and they propel the boat with your legs so you can you can fish with it and still be moving yep. so, so your boat swam here like a penguin it swam here like a penguin it stopped and ate three fish on the way and uh, it caught itself a seagull nice yeah is that is that a stock that's a stock sale and everything too? that is from a stock stock sale self-furling sale everything is dead stock the uh, the trampoline is stock you just buy that as an accessory yep at 120 pounds Nigel's boat is easily one of the smallest boats to make it across the Strait of Juan de Fuca this year. Nigel likes this boat because it's simple and easy. And he says when he gets to Ketchikan, he can just throw on the wheels, get on the ferry, and take it home for 60 bucks. Here is Nigel Davies about the beauty of simplicity. I, I gotta ask, why did you decide that you were gonna do this in this particular boat? Like. Oh. I'm comfortable in this boat. I, I use one in Australia. I go fishing way miles and miles out. I don't need a launch ramp. I don't need a trailer. I just put it in the back of the truck or whatever. It's just so simple. And I find the simplicity is perfect. But according to race boss Daniel Evans, that might not be quite dirtbag enough. I think the Hobie One Kenobi is a thought too, because he just bought the stock. He, he paid like 4,000 bucks. I mean, yeah, I guess you, uh, you're, yeah, 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 you're, yeah, yeah, that's true. You're fully that story, but. It's like a brand new boat. Yeah. You know, a lot of proven capabilities. Dirtbag typically is like 500 or less. Okay. Yeah. And unfortunately, Hobie One Kenobi had to drop out on June 10th before the Seymour Narrows ending his bid to become the second person to finish in a Hobie Adventure Island. The first and only person to accomplish that feat in R2AK history is R2AK legend Roger Mann, who manned a Hobie all the way to Ketchikan in 2015. So then, what level of dirtbag is deserving of this illustrious title? Team Razzle Dazzle has gotten pretty good at keeping this race low cost. 
This is Razzle Dazzle team member Katie's fourth year racing. So she's essentially mastered the dirtbag methods for boat acquisition. And how'd you end in, how did you get connected with Race for Alaska, Katie? Somebody sent me a link to it just a couple weeks before it started the first year and I was just devastated that I hadn't found out any sooner and said absolutely next year I'm doing that. So following year we signed up using my dad's homemade trimaran. My sister and another friend that I met sailing in Mexico went and the year after that we got a $2,500 boat off Craigslist and I went with my husband and two sisters. And according to race boss Daniel Evans, they were able to do it for even cheaper this year. Team Razzle Dazzle because they were given a boat to do it. And I don't think Katie really puts any money into preparing nowadays, be my guess. Pretty good, but they definitely have some competition. Remember our friends Thor and Pax from Funky Dory? The guys who found their boat in a bush? Here's a little refresher. Okay, so um, describe what are you trying to get to Alaska? Like, what is this thing you're trying to haul to Alaska? It's a Swampscott Dory built in 1978 by David Jackson in Anacortes. And we found it in the bushes down on the border with Washington and Oregon, right by the Columbia River. And it had been there for about 10 years, had some pretty serious splits and damage to various little bits here and there. Centerboard was all messed up. And we spent, I think we have around a thousand hours into restoring, modifying and fixing it now. The owner was selling it on Craigslist for three and a half grand. But when he heard that their mission was to use ocean exploration to get people involved in ocean conservation, he sold it to Thorin Pax for just $1. I guess it never hurts to ask. But seeing as the boat was in pretty bad shape, I mean, parts were literally being held together by chopsticks. Purchasing the dory was just the beginning. Refurbishing the boat was the real challenge. Pack said the first time he took it out, water was pouring in from everywhere. Funky Dory really relied on hard work, collaboration, and the generosity of friends to get to the starting line in Port Townsend. It's actually a good story in its own right. Emiliano of the Artful Sailor over there, he was working with Brian Toss about 30 years, 38 years ago. And he and they were sharing a shop in Anacortes and they built the rig and made the sails to this very boat 38 years ago. So we were able to reach out and talk to them here in Port Townsend and Emiliano got a set of sails donated to me and he modified them. And then we got another person to donate printing on them and everything, but Emiliano put, I don't even know how many hours into the sail. Um, and then Brian helped a little bit with rigging and yeah, it's been just trying to work with collaboration. I was just, it's definitely been an ambitious project. I think it's been about six months from bush, bush to boat here. <laughs> and uh, there's still more things to do. Six months from bush to boat. How many racers can say that? Just to give some context on Team Funky Dory's mode of transportation, it's essentially a traditional fishing boat with no provisions for blocking wind or crashing waves. At 16 feet in length, there's also no place to sleep aboard. So pretty minimalist. Funky Dory is definitely a strong candidate for the Dirtbag Award. And it's no surprise that they're on race boss Daniel Evans' radar. Yeah, it's really, yeah, Dirtbag Award, 
That's a good question because there's a couple real opportunities. There's one is the um, the Funky Dory. You know, you got to finish though. There's the trick, right? So Funky Dory is definitely in the lead because they put a lot of sweat equity into it, but they, you know, they pulled it out of the blackberry bushes. The Dirtbag Award isn't the only side bet available for the taking. As race boss Dan Evans mentioned, there are other awards, such as the Most in Need of a Dry Bag Award, or the hotly contested Most in Need of a Stiff Drink Award. And as it turns out, the R2AK staff are not the only ones partaking in unconventional award giving. There are also a number of awards voted on by a poll of magazine readers in 48 Degrees North magazine before the race started. Team Sail Like a Girl was an overwhelming favorite for the R2 Famous Award for the team that's most likely to star in a reality show after R2AK. We'll keep you updated on the production and air dates for that. Old Fart in a Windstorm claimed the MacGyver Award, given to the team that will make the most numerous and most creative repairs. Ben, from Team Barbarossa, was humored to find out that they too had won a 48 Degrees North Award. The last thing that I've ever won in this world was notoriety. So, um, What's your name? My name is Ben Kirshner. And what's your team name? Uh, Barbarossa. And tell us about this award that you won. Yeah, so there was a, what, what was it, Jake? It was a whole, uh, just of everyone participating or 48 North in 48 general? 48 North put out the poll for the uh, sailing magazine. Yes. And, and there were lots of different categories. And, and there were a variety of categories. And the information that they gave you were was the captain of the team, which nobody knows who I am, so that's fine. They gave you the make and model of the boat, which we have a very fast boat. And they gave you the number of crew. We are very underhanded for this race, right? And I think everyone that, that reads that anticipates everyone wants $10,000, everyone wants steak knives. We just want to get there, right? Primary objective is survival. Secondary objective is getting catch can. There is no tertiary objective. That's what we're here for. So I, they took a look at, at where we're at and decided that the Bleary Eyed Award, which was the team with the least amount of sleep that would still finish, and it was 30% of the people in the poll, which a, a field of 50 teams. Yeah, I feel like it's a little one-sided. So I don't. It's not just you voting for yourself over and over again. I, I actually did not vote oh, in that poll. Okay. I was in the process of essentially quitting my job while. Unfortunately, Barbarossa had to end their race early, but they'll always have their bleary eyes. So who is the dirtiest dirtbag of them all? The recipient of the Dirtbag Award has yet to be announced. But what's really pretty astounding is that this is a race where a bag of dirt may be just as coveted as $10,000. I'm sure you're all on the edge of your seats, dying to know who will be taking home these illustrious awards, but you're going to have to wait a little longer. We'll be sharing those results in the last episode, but don't worry, we'll do our best to distract you in the meantime. That's it for today's R2AK Daily Fix by Boldly Went. Thanks for sharing the adventure with us. We've heard from racers and the staff, but the race doesn't just exist in a vacuum. Far from it. The racers stop in communities along the way and are usually received with overwhelming enthusiasm and support. So who are these communities and what is their relationship with the race? 
tune in for the next episode on June 18th. Huge thanks to Race to Alaska for bringing this crazy adventure into the world and all the crazy adventurers who are trying it and who are fodder for this podcast. Other thanks for this podcast are attributed to Uncruise, Northwest Maritime Center, Tim and Angel Mathis, co-writers and interviewers, Funky Dory, Hobie One Kenobi, Race Boss Dan Evans, Razzle Dazzle, Barbarossa. Episode production by Boldly Went. Also to Craigslist, Boats and Bushes, Sparkle, Steak Knives, Hobies, Side Bets, Stiff Drinks, Putting in the Work, and Dirt Bags. If you're still listening, thanks. Get all the daily details about the race to Alaska at r2ak.com. Get additional R2AK content and reporting from our website or link to the regular weekly Boldly Went podcast featuring the brief and true adventure stories by outdoorists of all kinds at BoldlyWentAdventures.com. Follow us both on Instagram and Facebook at Race to Alaska and at Boldly Went Adventures. I'm Michaela Elias, proudly bringing you this podcast with a race to Alaska. Ignite your adventure.